For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Welcome to WCW Retro. I'm your host for the evening, Papa Stro, the Maestro of Wrestling. And tonight, it's a very special night here on WCW Retro. It is Macho Man Randy Savage Night. We're honoring the career and highlights of the one only late uh, Hall of Famer Macho Man Randy Savage. And uh, I, I, 
an icon of the wrestling business that uh, I, uh, I, I personally, uh, I've had some dealings with over the years and, uh, I've had, had very much an influence in my wrestling career as well as many others in the wrestling industry as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's great to talk about Macho Man Randy Savage here tonight. And if you have a cool Macho Man Randy Savage story you'd like to share with us, call us anytime during tonight's live WCW Retro Podcast at 914-338-1885. Once again, that number is 914-338-1885. And before we get to talk about Macho Man Randy Savage and wrestling news, uh, a big two shout-outs, if you will, etc., uh, and announcements. First off, uh, shout-outs to Innovative Hybrid Wrestling and a Maritimes area in Canada. For more information on what they're up to, go to their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Wrestling. Uh, Cauliflower Alley Club, find out what they're up to at cauliflowerallyclub.org.org. Um, also, Masters of Ring Entertainment at mastersofringentertainment.com. Fishing with Special Friends, officialspecialfriends.com, um, as well. Uh, as far as film news for yours truly, uh, the Devil Starter Harlequin story is still out on YouTube and Amazon Fire TV. You can watch, so, which I started talking to Arkham in that film. Just type in the Devil Starter Harlequin story in the search for both. Also, on Vimeo, <coughs> excuse me, Vimeo.com, B-I-M-E-O.com. I have a film that's out now called Stench of Iniquity, which I star as the ancient vampire named Abba in the film. For more information for that one, go to Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O dot com slash Turnerverse. You can watch it for free there. Uh, I'm currently um, getting ready to get on set soon for a upcoming feature. I have also an upcoming horror sci-fi miniseries that will be making its premiere on Halloween called Stroh's. Sinister Cinema, and uh, the cast of Stro Sinister Cinema will be at the Charlotte Comic Con next month in August in Cobham, Concord, North Carolina, MC Suites Hotel. So, uh, looking forward to that, and looking forward to telling you guys more about the upcoming Stro Sinister Cinema, make its premiere on Halloween night later uh, this year. Uh, also, um, I have a spy series that's I'll be starting coming out soon called Hybrid, which you'll be hearing more about soon. I'll be telling you guys more about that as it develops. Um, now, lots of cool stuff coming up in the film world coming up. Uh, a lot, uh, I got a couple of horror shorts coming out soon as well. So I'll definitely uh, keep you guys uh, posted as it develops. Um, uh, for, for merchandise, you can uh, buy your Papa Stone merchandise today through Teespring and also. Uh, my official website at thestro.com slash merchandise by your Papa Stro merch today for all ages, including pets. Um, uh, if I'm also accepting tips. If you'd like to give me tips, uh, gifts, cup of coffee, etc. Uh, and thank you for those that have already donated. But if you'd like to donate to yours truly, send it at my PayPal at paypal.me slash Papa Strode. That's paypal.emissamaryeasonite slash Papa Strode. Thank you in advance for your support. Uh, for bookings, I'm saying all kinds of bookings for wrestling, commentary, voiceover, commercials, endorsements, Comic-Cons, conventions. If you'd like to catch me for your television or film project, uh, 
autograph signings, uh, public engage, speaking engagements, etc. Uh, interviews, charities, what have you. I do a lot. Of birthday parties, uh, you name it, I do a lot. Uh, if you'd like to book yours truly, hook me up. Let's talk. Strofoya at yahoo.com. S-T-R-O number four Y-A at yahoo.com. And uh, let's talk business, if you will. And also, if you like to be a special guest on upcoming episode of WCW Retro, hit me up as well, Retro at yahoo.com, and let's uh, get you some exposure here on the show. Um, but yeah, lots uh, lots happening, man. Um, and, and for some social media back, um, on yours truly, uh, my official website is T-H-E-S-T-R-O.com, the show.com. I'm on uh, YouTube. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Maestro. Instagram at Maestro. Twitter at Sign the Stro. On Facebook at facebook.com slash Maestro. And tomorrow night, uh, midnight Eastern Standard Time, uh, the Stro Zone returns on my official Facebook page with the... Uh, feature being the thing from another world. So please tune in tomorrow night. The Stroh's on my Facebook page. Um, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash realpapastro. And if you need an influencer for your product or event, what have you, I'm your guy. Hit me up. Strohfoy at yahoo.com. Let's talk. But thank you guys. Let's support us abusing Nation on ProWestMontese at com slash VOC Nation, get your favorite VOC Nation t-shirt today, including one of WCW Retro and one of yours truly, the four faces of Stro. So, so with that, the callers are lining up. I'll get, we'll get you guys in just a few moments, so, so sit tight. And when we come back, we'll be discussing one only Macho Man Randy Savage right here on WCW Retro. So stick with us, folks. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. 
Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We've excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network. Welcome back, everyone, to WCW Retro. Tonight, tonight uh, we talk about Monster Man Randy Savage. Uh, Papa Stroh here, the Maestro of Wrestling. Uh, great to be with you guys once again. And uh, before we get to the callers, uh, l- let me uh, give you a little background information on the Macho Man here, if you will, for those that are tuning in. Uh, Randy Savage, uh, born Randall Mario Poffo, uh, better known as renamed Macho Man Randy Savage, an American professional wrestler and professional baseball player, best known for his time in the WWF, World Wrestling Federation, and World Championship Wrestling, WCW. Uh, uh, Randy was described by ESPN's Bill Simmons as one of the greatest pro wrestlers who ever lived. Um, that statement's concurred uh, uh, quite quite a few in the wrestling industry. Uh, we recognized that wrestling fans were succinct, flamboyant, ring style, intensity, exhibited in and out of the ring, and one of the and used the finale of pomp and circumstance, uh, which was also used by actually my my great uh, granduncle back in the day, uh, Gorgeous George. Uh, who is also, uh, Randy was also a big fan of as well, a big influence. Uh, and, and Macho Man's had 29 championship reigns for 11 titles during his 32 year career, including two as WWE World Heavyweight Champion, back when it was WWF, and four as WCW World Heavyweight Champion. And as WWF Champion, he, he held several drawing, uh, similar drawing power to, uh, Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan was really a big thing back then. Uh, he's a one-time uh, WWF Intercontinental Ch- Heavyweight Champion, and he was named by WWE as the greatest title holder of all time, and credited by bringing a higher level of credibility to the title throughout his amazing in-ring performances. Uh, just a li- little bit on uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage of a lot. Uh, he has a very storied career, and we'll go touch up a little bit that here tonight. And with that, uh, let's get to the callers, shall we? Uh, first off, all right, here we go. Uh, Chaz from Chicago. Chaz, brother, welcome back. How you doing? Hey, Stro, how are you? How's everybody tonight? Oh, yeah, d- doing great, man. Doing great. Um, yeah, tonight's the Macho Man, Randy Savage night, man. I'm sure you have some great Macho Man, Randy Savage stories. So. Oh, yeah. Always. I mean, you know, how can you talk about a, a story true like that without having, you know, some experiences? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, one of a kind, man, Macho Man. Uh, amazing individual. Um, uh, one that comes to, you know, like, let's talk about his earlier days. Uh, gosh. Um, you know, his, him and his family ran that, remember, the ICW territory years ago? Yeah, I mean, ICW was actually started by um, by Randy's father, Angelo, as a, mm-hmm. um, a vehicle for his kids to get some work. I mean, they just, you know, they were breaking into business, and uh, Randy and Lanny weren't getting a lot of exposure in the territory system, and, you know, they were trying to break in, and so Angelo decided to, he broke convention and that he didn't, he, he went outlaw and started ICW mm-hmm. as an outlaw, as international wrestling as an outlaw federation. And, uh, right. you know, then they decided that they were going to, they were going to um, basically invade Memphis and go up against, uh, go up against Jarrett and Lawler and whatnot. And, you know, it seemed to, it seemed to work out. Um, very similar to WCW going up against WWF until they basically ran out of money. And, you know, and then Randy made the jump over to Memphis and he brought Lanny over and next thing you know, their careers took off. You know, it's interesting, you know, with ICW territory, uh, I, I was watching some footage a while back and uh, his soon-to-be uh, wife, uh, Elizabeth, was doing color commentary for some of the ICW tapings <laughs> yeah, yeah she was doing she was doing commentary and uh and backstage interviews i believe it's mm-hmm. how she and randy met if i'm not mistaken but one of the you know one of the things that was only again at that time if you weren't in that area you didn't get to see that television um you basically read about it in the magazines and one of the matches that really sh- struck me and stayed with me you know throughout the years was um Angelo actually, I don't know if he invented it, but he definitely perfected the concept of the empty arena match because he actually had a blow-off. He had the boys feud each other, and he had the Mm blow-off in an empty arena. And so you saw the pictures and the story behind Randy Savage and Lanny Poppo actually going at it in in an empty arena, I think before Waller and and Terry Funk did it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... They were breaking ground before anybody else was on a lot of things. And uh, speaking of, uh, you know, yeah, there's there was uh, you know uh, talk you know back when you know Terry Funk did the big turn on Ric Flair and, and did the pile driver on the table during the Wrestle War after he won the title from Steamboat. But uh, actually, that was done years back. Actually, in the Memphis territory with the feud with the Rockwell Express and the Popos. If you recall, Randy pile drive Ricky Morton the table at Mid-South Coliseum. So, I mean, that, I mean, I, like like you said, they were like breaking ground even back then before, way before it was done, you know, close to the modern time. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. I mean, you know, it was, and that was back when, when guys would get their ring name based on the type of work they did. I mean, you know, Randy was, uh, was working as Randy Popple for a while. And all of a sudden, he became Randy Savage. And I guess if you listen, I was watching the A&E biography on Randy, and if you listen to Lanny, he gave him the Savage name, saying that he wrestled like a savage. Oh, gosh. I, I, could, I could believe that. I mean, because his, his, Randy's intensity was second to none. I mean, he was so passionate about the business. Oh, yeah. 
And, I mean, you know, the, the heat he brought when he went to Memphis and started feuding with Lawler was just second to none. I mean, there were, there were very few feuds back in the early to mid-'80s that would ever rival what Randy and Lawler did down in Memphis. I mean, they were selling out the Mid-South Coliseum weekly. And that's doing mm. something oh, yeah. to sell 12,000 seats a week. Yes. But probably, to me, still one of the greatest Memphis feuds ever was uh, – Macho Man and uh, the King, man. I mean, what a storied feud that was. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, again, it was at a time where you didn't have the Internet. You didn't have the kind of information streams that we had now. You either basically had to be there. You had to watch the local television. And, again, if you couldn't do it, you read the magazines. And, uh, you know, they, they kept uh, they kept the, the curtain closed, if you will, and, and they made sure that people were drawn into – what they were presenting, you know, they, they made sure that people didn't, it wasn't a matter of move sets and this and that. It was a matter of is Savage going to kill Lawler? Can Lawler survive? Right. You know, and, and that's what wrestling, at least for me, that's what professional wrestling back in the seventies and eighties was all about. It was just all about that, that emotional investment into the wrestlers themselves. You know, we, we talked uh, a week or so ago about Ricky Steamboat. I, 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 he had um, high-impact artistic style, but he made it believable and told, always told great stories. I mean, Monster Man was, like, uh, right along that level, which uh, he brought he brought the high flying, but he also brought the intensity and uh, and in that same art, and it made everything so believable, and, and it brought out the emotion. And, and made it, pretty much made an impact in everywhere he went, whether it be Puerto Rico, uh, WWF slash WWE, uh, WCW, et cetera. I mean, he, he just he's brought it. He was 110 every time, man. Oh, most definitely. I mean, and you take a look at his intercontinental victory in Boston. I mean, he didn't win the title with any type of finisher. He was basically Santana had him up for a belly to back suplex, and he popped them with a foreign object and knocked them out and got the pin. So, I mean, mm -hmm. all the stuff that Randy would do in the ring, and he won his Intercontinental title in the cheapest manner possible. Absolutely. And, and that doesn't, you know, those his matches with Santana, I don't think it's talked enough. I mean, there, there were some great matches with him, Tito. Oh, agreed. I mean, you know, and then in, in his interviews, Randy would push the envelope. I mean, he would say some outlandish things that would never fly in today's society. But, you know, he got away with it in, in 1983, 1980. Well, actually, I think it back 1984, 85, 86 is when he rose to prominence. You know, he wasn't, uh, again, he was groomed in the territories. And, and that's where he, that's where he plied his trade. And that's where he you know, became the macho man. And if you take a look at his early stuff in the WWF, I want to go back to, say, like, 86. Uh, his gear was, was territory gear. I mean, he had a pair of trunks mm -hmm. with, what, three stars on the front and, and macho mm -hmm. man sewn on the rear end, and, and that was it. You know, that was what the that's what the, the kind of gear the Valiants wore back in the 70s. And that's what, you know, that's what these guys were were brought up on. So they had a little bit of flash to their gear. You know, um, and basically, the the rest of it was the substance of their work. I mean, they all had a they all had a flashy robe or a cape or 
something to come to the ring with. But then once they stripped all that off, like you said, you just got to see you got to see the talent that was there. You know, he had its own distinct promo style, pretty much like Roddy Roddy Piper had. Where I mean, it, there was nobody that could do promos quite the way that Macho Man did. He had his own distinct style, the way he did things. And, uh, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you and if you take a look at it, who was who was Macho Man's biggest influence? It wasn't really. It was somebody that was popular in the seventies, late sixties and seventies, but it wasn't somebody that you would just you know fly off the tip of your tongue. Pampero Purple was was Macho Man's uh, influence in terms of cutting promos and interviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, and, especially I mean, with no the, one, you know, with deliver. Uh huh. No, oh, especially with the with the o, with the oh yeah and and whatnot. That was all Pampero Purple, but. Right, you know, right, Macho right. Man had a, had a he had a cadence to his interviews. I've always studied the interviews. You know, from being a fan and then into the business, I've always studied the art of the interview. And Macho Man's interviews, if you, they start out like a, a symphony. They start out very low mm-hmm. and very subdued, and then they build to a crescendo. And that's how he would right. draw people into the building. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, he's such a master at that too. And I, I know in the early days, uh, whenever like his entrances, we had come out to the, the Fame music from the movie Fame soundtrack. And he would come out, yep. do his do his thing with the. Oh, it was just incredible, just incredible. Yeah, I mean, he would do that. He did. He came out to Pop and Circumstance, which was his most yes. famous. And then, you know, when he was in Memphis. Uh, Jarrett brought him out to the Village People's Macho Man, and he made that work. Yes, yes. You know, yes, you wouldn't yes, you wouldn't think of you wouldn't think of an upbeat song like Macho Man as a heels music. You know, you would think that'd be a baby right. faces music, but Randy made it work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, we touched up on it uh, not too long ago about. Uh, during the time of Hulkamania, and when it was going strong at its peak, uh, Macho Man found found a way to break through all that and and make a solid name for himself and 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 become the man there for a while, become the heavyweight champ. And at, the, at that feat in itself was pretty amazing. Being that that nod was pretty, I mean, that area was pretty much all Hogan during that time. Yeah, I mean, I believe Savage won his first world title. At WrestleMania four, if I'm not mistaken, in the tournament, it was mm-hmm. WrestleMania four, WrestleMania five. I mean, at that time, Hogan right. had been, Hogan had been there since what uh, December of '83 after Backlund lost and won the title in '84, and he was two years into his run because you had well more than that, almost three years into his run, and you know you had WrestleMania mm-hmm. three with with Andre, and you know you had Savage and Steamboat underneath. And uh, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, after I think after the strength of that match, and the uh, and the ability to 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 really bring fans into that feud, you know, and in those subsequent rematches and whatnot, is what really gave Randy that that push to uh, to become a, a main eventer as opposed to the secondary titleist. I mean, he raised the he raised the prestige of the Intercontinental title to 
where it should have been a long time before. I mean, no mm-hmm. disrespect to Greg Valentine or to Tito Santana, but they didn't have the kind of charisma that Macho Man had. Oh, yeah. I mean, a whole new level. You know, and then, you know, the, then you take a look at the ripple effect. Savage goes after the, the vacant world title after all the, the nonsense and fiasco with Andre and uh, DiBiase and whatnot and wins it mm-hmm. in the tournament. And, and then you have, uh, you know, that opens up the IC title for uh, the Hockey Talk man to, to upend Steamboat. And you look at the run that he had with the with the Intercontinental title. I mean, you know, if Savage right. doesn't become, if Savage doesn't establish himself as a bona fide main event star, does he continue to feud with Steamboat? Does he take the title back? Does he win it? Because I don't, I, I, again, at that time, I loved the idea that you didn't know what the promoter and or, you know, the quote-unquote booker was thinking. So, right. you know, does Savage win the title back? And if he does, you don't see... You don't see the honky talk, man, because you know Vince and Vince, the one thing Vince kept from his dad was that was that philosophy and that ideology that two heels could not face each other for a title, two baby faces couldn't right. face each other for a title. So if it was a heel champion, baby face challengers and so forth. So I mean, you know that that right. still re, that formula still remained. So Savage doesn't get the doesn't make his move and get the. And get the push to the world title. You know what happens to Honky Tonk Man? Do we ever get the? Uh, do we ever get the the reign that he had as the, as what he calls himself? What the greatest intercontinental champion of all time? And and during that time, I mean, the talent was amazing there for WWF uh, slash WWE. I mean, we talk. You know, we just talked about the Honky Tonk Man, Tito Santana, Ricky Dragon Steamboat. Um, you know, Ted DiBiase, the guy he. Won- actually won the world title from. Um, I mean, uh, Greg Valentine. I mean, I mean the talent. I mean, Dynamite Kid. Uh, gosh, the, may, the roster was just so packed full of stars. It was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, Those are some of the many stars they had. You know what I mean? Davey Boy team. Smith was, was just starting to uh, delve more into singles matches. Uh, Bret uh-huh. Hart was just starting to go into more singles matches. Even though they were both primarily focused on their tag teams, you know they were starting to, to break out a little bit. You know, and then you take right. the fun part about the about the mid '80s, and by mid I mean '84 to, to '88, is uh, as soon as the title changed hands, whether it be a babyface or a heel, you automatically knew the top five contenders that were just going to line up for that title. Right. I mean, when Hogan when Hogan won it in '84, there was a top five of guys just waiting. You know, and mm-hmm. some guys you knew didn't have a prayer of winning a title from them, but they were entertaining matches. I mean, you look at Iron Mike Sharp. Iron Mike Sharp probably had at least a half a dozen title shots with Hogan. Lost them all, yes. but you know, he was still there. He was still a viable contender. You take a look at when Savage won the title. Are Santana got his mandatory rematches? And then, you know, mm-hmm. Randy feasted up on a few guys, and then Steamboat came along. You know, they signed Steamboat, and Steamboat made the challenge for him. And, uh, you know, was Randy ahead of his time? Yeah, he was ahead of his time, and that he wrote out everything in his matches. I mean, what did Steamboat say in, in the biography? It was uh, 
160 plus parts to their match at WrestleMania three. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, every I mean, detail was written out. Documented everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, did he still call audibles in a ring? Did he still, you know, call it, so to speak, in the ring? Sure they did. You can tell they were still calling it in the ring. But mm-hmm. he, Randy went in there prepared. He didn't go in there saying, oh, we'll do something tonight. I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, the only time he didn't know what he was going to do is when he faced Andre. Because Andre just wouldn't tell him. Right. You know, he throw he didn't right. like Randy. He threw Randy out of the locker room how many times from what you hear between, you know, Randy's documentary and Andre's biography. Andre just didn't like the kid. He just threw him out of the locker room. Get in the ring and have his way with him. <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do when a a five hundred pound giant doesn't like you? You're gonna pray he doesn't kill you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, uh, Randy was also a a great innovator. Through the years, I mean, you know, from his stint with the mock things coming, uh, the Macho King, and then uh, becoming a uh, color commentator for a while before uh, he made his return to the ring. But uh, and the, you know the Mega Powers, you know, and and, and the oh. big turn after that. I mean, gosh, I mean, he always reinvented himself. Oh, definitely. The one thing I never agreed with Randy on um, was to bring his wife in to the business uh, the way he did because Randy being a, a rather insecure person to begin with it was just not a it was just not a, a comfortable situation for either of them I mean I, I don't think yep. that, I think Randy you know what happens if Randy would have signed with one of the male managers that was that was involved in that uh, in that Three Kings episode where they were trying to sign him as opposed to signing you know, Elizabeth I mean about that just knowing, knowing the way Randy was, it was a weird audible to, to, you know, to put his wife out there. Yeah, I you mean, know, the way he did. granted it worked. I mean, she was basically, she was basically right. a babyface manager with a heel, with a mm-hmm. heel client. I mean, it worked. You know, did she get involved mm-hmm. every so often? Yeah, she got involved every so often. But I just think him being as insecure as he was. Personally, with her, I think it was a, a, a bad idea to make her his manager. Mm-hmm. And even it, it was weird because I mean, even after they they were no longer a couple, I mean, she it was like she just followed followed the guy throughout his career, even into WCW. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you take a look at it. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't quote unquote trained, but she took bumps. I mean, the the shove mm-hmm. from the shove from Honky Tonk Man was one that will uh, was one that will always uh, you know be one that you didn't expect to have happen, and and right. when it did, you know, it got it got over, and it got Honky Tonk Man mm-hmm. over as a heel, you know, Jake the Snake when he uh, when he. Um, put his hands on her. I mean, I think when Jake pushed Elizabeth, it was actually more impactful than the Cobra biting Randy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That that was that was some good heat back then. And what? And another few oh. classic dude. Him and Jake Roberts, man. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, you know, you, you take a look at that dude, and from you know, and from what Jake was saying on on uh, the documentary on the 
on the uh, biography. I mean, you know, Randy would. Randy was insecure. Randy went up to him, you know, beforehand and goes, you know, make sure the snake is is uh, is gimmicked. Is he taken care of? Yeah, the snake's taken care of. Great. Let him bite you first. I mean, that's yeah. typical Randy. Hi. I don't think he was counting on that because, I mean, of course, they minimize it because the animal rights and everything. But, I mean, they still, like you said, they still bite. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, they still bite. I mean, and, you know, because of that, because they still bite, you know, he he was distrustful. I, I mean, and again, going back, going back to the territory days, you trusted your opponent, but you didn't know who was going to go into business for themselves or or – who was uh, gonna double cross you to to get an extra payday or an extra booking? So I mean, yeah, he, he was very distrustful. You know, he didn't show right. his work. You know, but uh, okay. that whole deal with the Cobra was was different. I mean, you know, he was like, I gotta let I had to let this snake bite me so he'd be okay with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody that's ever been here, anybody that's ever been bitten by anything. It hurts. I mean, it stings uh, after the initial mm-hmm. shock wears off. So, I mean, <laughs> then the amount of time they let that snake stay on him, did that snake clamp mm. in? They couldn't get him off. No. Un- unreal, man. And it's it's well, no walk in the park, uh, and it's sure you, you guys. <laughs> no, again, but the one thing to remember, though, those guys would work 300, and you know this, Stro, they worked 300 dates a year without major oh, injury, God. especially brain injuries. They didn't have concussions. They had mild concussions. They had, you know, did, did they get, did they take knocks and did they keep it quiet? Sure they did. They didn't want to lose their bookings. But right. nothing to the extent that we see now. I mean, you see these kids just bounce their heads off of the canvas, the concrete, the steps. And you're, you're, I mean, I looked at myself like, what the hell are they doing? I mean, they're going to be, like I said, they're going to be sucking oatmeal through a straw by the time they're 35, half of them. Oh, God, yeah. It, it, it's insane. And, 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 and Randy was they're, out, they're, Randy was out there jumping kids. off the top rope. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Randy went off the top rope every night. But he mm-hmm. didn't do it 12 times. You know? He did it once when it made sense. Or twice. He'd do the, he'd do the double X handle off the top rope. And then he dropped the elbow. Mm-hmm. You know? He I, was I mean, athletic when I, it made I, sense. Now, Diamond Dallas Page, another guy he had a great feud with here at WCW, um, well, mentioned uh, that about Randy teaching them the, 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 the work style of house shows and uh, TV tapings, where, uh, you know, he, he noticed that uh, when he was working with Randy that... Uh, during the tapings, I mean, Randy was like all over him. I mean, just super relentless, oh, yeah. right? And then, and then when the house shows came, and Randy was just, it was so easy going. And I'm like, and he was like, what's what's going on, Randy? You know, why are you doing all this? And, and Randy's like, you know, this this is how it works, brother. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you, you did it. You did enough to, you did enough to promote the company. You did enough to promote your feud, and you did enough to keep the people coming back. Mhm. You know, in TV, you had a wider scope, a wider audience. In the house show, you didn't. You had, you know, you had your twelve, fifteen thousand people, and they were going to come back next month. But you know, 
right. your merch sales. Randy was a, a genius when it came to merch sales. I mean, he his father perfected it back in the in the ICW days, you know, and and Randy worked on it himself, and so they were they were very good at getting their brand out there. I mean, because when right. Randy got to the WWF, he was like I said, he was in the same gear and the same character and the same persona that he was in Memphis. And you, know, and you read you about him in Memphis. Very, and, mm-hmm. You brought up a very good yeah, point. I mean, that, uh, a lot of new promotions I see nowadays don't capitalize on uh, is their merchandising, uh, and which no, they could do they a don't. lot better job on. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't. I mean, here. One of the one of the points that my wife often makes in terms of, of selling merch, you know, even on the independent level is she has stated and she's very correct, people are sick of T shirts. You know, what sells yeah. better? I mean I went down I went down to Morgan City, Louisiana to work for Mustang Mike and Gulf State Wrestling back in March and I sold out of Eight by tens, knockoff sunglasses, and photo ops. I didn't bring T-shirt one with me down there, and I made more mm-hmm. money in merch than I made ever in my career in that one venue because people, yeah, people want something that's unique. I mean, how many black right. T-shirts do you have of various of various wrestlers and companies? Yeah, it, it gets it gets to be old quick. I've got sixty different T-shirts, and at least forty are black. Yeah, yeah. And they sit in a bag collecting dust, except for a handful. Yeah, you know what? The one thing though, at least when, because I was a I was a teenager when when Randy was working. I was actually, well, let's see, eighty six. I was going on nineteen years old. The one thing that I bought because I was a Macho Man fan, and it wasn't from WWF merchandise or whatnot. I went out and bought mm-hmm. him because he he didn't have, he wore contemporary um, articles of clothing. I went out and bought a pair of Swatch Shield sunglasses because that's what he wore. Mm-hmm. You know, Randy wore them in white and yellow, and I believe I bought a pair that were black because I, I just I didn't want to be that outlandish and wear white. But yeah, Swatch mm-hmm. Shields. I mean, Randy was was an innovator in that. I mean, he, there were guys that wore sunglasses, maybe more the managers and whatnot. But you know, Randy coming out in a, in a sequenced headband, a cape, and these big ginormous Swatch sunglasses that you can't find anymore. You know that was right. and and that was his look. That was Randy. And you take a look at the T-shirt that the WWF produced for him, which was still a unique color. It was in pink and, and you know, and light purple. And what did it have on her? It had his sunglass silhouette. And it's probably yeah. the most iconic Randy Savage shirt ever. Man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his his merch really did stand out too. I mean, and like you said, he was a master at marketing himself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I mean, I'll eat dollars to donuts. He very rarely ate Slim Jim before signing with them. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, that was bar food. That was bad bar food before there were before bars had kitchens. 
that was just bad bar food. You had either stale chips or Slim Jims, and they, you know, they were heartburn inducers. But you know, Randy goes crazy with it and and makes a ton. And like you said, yeah, he was a master at reinventing himself. When he did, when he went to the, when he had the, um, the, the gear maker, the guy that was doing the, you know, stuff for rock and roll bands, and he went to the cowboy hat and, uh, you know, macho man gear from head to toe, including the shirts and the long tights and whatnot. I mean, Randy took a big chance, stepped out of his comfort zone when it came to um, buying, you know, having that merch printed up for himself. But again, he you know, made I, it work, and he took it with him to WCW. I remember Randy introduced me to the, the Slim Jim manager, who uh, he he did all his out. They actually at, they did all his outfits for him. You know what I mean for commercials and mm-hmm. everything. And yeah. he showed me actually a whole, whole closet full of different outfits they made, and that much all this dropped. It was just uncanny. They did many, many different outfits, like different colors. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, here's where Randy was really smart. He never sold the copyrights to his name or his image or anything. You know, Vince McMahon didn't own him. He came Mm -hmm. in as Macho Man Randy Savage, and he left as Macho Man Randy Savage. It wasn't one of these where Vince tried to change his name. He didn't do it. There were a lot of guys that he didn't do that with. Back in the '80s, and the you know, and us diehard fans wouldn't allow it either. I mean, Kerry Von Erich comes to mind. Kerry Von Erich rolls into the WWF, and they want to change his name to the Texas Tornado. I'm like, really, dude? <laughs> Anybody that's been following wrestling for more than five months knows that's Kerry Von Erich. You know, they finally right. backed off of it, but you didn't see Macho Man coming in as uh, you know uh, some goofy name creation that they gave him in Stamper. He came in with an established persona and, and left with that persona built up to a different level. Absolutely. And even before, you know, before the scene is, before the people that are involved in music now and everything, you know, Macho Man, you know, he did the WrestleMania album, if you recall. In fact, yes. He did the rap, did the rap album. And I mean, he, he he did all that before he had guys like Cena come along, and, you know, doing their thing. So I mean, he he was a man. He was a pioneer, man. Oh, definitely. I mean, he could, you know, and and here, like you said, he understood the business and he understood the importance of of giving the fans a hundred percent of your persona. I mean, you you alluded to the fact that he used to, he would uh, he was a frequent in Puerto Rico, and the Puerto Ricans hated him. And he'd go down yeah. there against Carlos Colon, or or Victor Jovica, or any of the Invader One, you know, even before uh-huh. and after what happened with with Bruiser Brody, you know, he'd go down there against the Invaders or those guys, and the Puerto Rican fans would throw batteries at him. They throw dollar coins. They throw bags of other liquids that I'm not going to talk about in this forum, and and Savage ate it all up because that's what you know that's what you do. Mm-hmm. That's what you do when you're when you're a heel, especially when you're a heel down in in Puerto Rico. I mean, when you're a heel in, in Latin America, get ready because they're gonna they're gonna show their appreciation and displeasure with you 
by throwing things at you. This is what they did. You know, the one thing right. I noticed is, and maybe you can shed some light on this, Savage just wasn't quite as popular in Japan as he was in other parts of the world. I don't think the Japanese knew how to take him. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because I, I think Randy could have done some great things in Japan. And I remember watching one of his few rare Japanese appearances over there, um, uh, Tanzan, I believe, or, or one of the top stars yeah. at the time, and which is rare because yeah. you, you know, like you said, Randy rarely ever went to Japan. But I, I really think they really missed the boat on Randy and what he could have delivered over there because he probably still. Oh, I, I think I think they missed the boat on Randy in '93. I mean, Hogan and Muto was probably one of the greatest matches that I've ever seen come out of Japan. And I, I was watching watching and tape-collecting matches from Japan, primarily mostly more all Japan than New Japan. But, I mean, imagine if Hogan and, and Muta had such a great match, imagine what Muta could have done out there with Savage, with styles being more similar. Oh, my God. That would have been epic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Inoki, probably not so much because Randy wouldn't have put up with Inoki. Randy wouldn't have said, you know, wouldn't have let Inoki just run run roughshod over him as he did with other other people that went out there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like you like you had, had said before, Randy was a unique character as a person. He rubbed people the wrong way. He just didn't care because oh, right. he knew what he brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brett, Brett Hart uh, recently said a lot of praise about Macho Man, Randy Savage, in which uh, he told a story one time where uh, during a match they had together that he accidentally uh, caught him hard with one of his kicks, right? And, yeah. uh, he, and he felt, And he felt bad about it and after the match, and you know, he told Randy he was sorry, you know, he didn't mean to deliver it the way he did. And Randy was like, no, that's great, man. It's good for the business, right? And, you know, that was really cool oh, that, it, you know, Randy, you know what I mean? You know, exactly. And Randy was respectful. I mean, Randy knew that Andre hated him. But, yeah, he was still respectful to him. He'd go in the locker room, hey, brother, what do you want to do tonight? And he'd get out. <laughs> no oh, baby yeah. oil comes to mind. I mean, that quote oh, from God. Hogan is still, is still hysterical. They're all in there playing cards <laughs> and drinking and drinking wine. And Savage comes in and wants to know what Andre wants to do. You know, not of respect to your vet, and Andre just throws him out and says, no baby oil. <laughs> and then goes out there and beats the living tar out of him. It's like, okay, cool. I guess he told you, dude. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess he told you what he wanted. But, you know, again, Randy's insecurities as a person, especially his insecurities over Liz, I think that hurt him in the long run. You know, he didn't. He didn't mm-hmm. need to be that way, but no one could tell him any different. And then when things right. started breaking down between the two of them personally, it showed in his work. I mean, mm-hmm. it really did. And, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to be popular for saying this, but Randy's work with Sherry was stellar, but Randy's work oh, with Medusa great. wasn't. Okay, mm-hmm. Randy with the three with with the three models. And don't forget, two of them could actually work. One was just this girlfriend that was useless. And I've already told her that to her face. She doesn't like me. I don't care. But, you know, that, that, that didn't do anything for him. 
as far as I was concerned. I mean, you know, yeah, he could tag with Medusa. He could tag with he could tag with Mona later on, uh, Molly Holly. But, mm-hmm. you know, all he's going to do with his girlfriend is show her off. Whatever. And again, that showed right. his insecurity. And so, I mean, you know, his insecurity led him to to not probably, I think he probably lost a good, what, three, four years off his career in terms of not being focused on what he was doing? You know, I mean, you were there. What do you think? Compared, I mean, compared to the role he was on with his last run, and did a little time off, and he came back, and he tried. You know, he's had a different look and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah, it, it took some getting used to, right? And and no, I know again, uh, even like that brief return with Impact. If you remember, he tried to uh, come back for Impact at one time. Yeah, TNA Impact. Yeah, and 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 it was just something was missing. You know what I mean? Even then. That's what I thought. I, I thought that at the end of his WCW run where he was all roided up and, and you know, not you didn't see the Randy Savage that you had come to know. You, you saw a guy that mm-hmm. was just, his demons were getting the best of him. At least that was just my opinion. Yeah. You know, did I enjoy him in Spider-Man? Hell yeah. I mean, I, had a, oh, yeah. I was notorious at the time for, at the time I was teaching school. A little-known fact about me is that I taught school for 15 years, between Mm -hmm. 1995 and, well, I take it back, between 95 and 2006, I taught school. So you're off in the summertime, Mm -hmm. what do you do? You either relax, you work a second job, or you um, you go to the movies a lot. So I went to the movies, and I'm watching Spider-Man, and I I had known that in the Spider-Man comics... They had him do a wrestling bit with a, a character named Doomsday, and so when mm-hmm. they did the um, when they did the when they did the wrestling scene, you know, you were, I was expecting a, a big mask guy, you know, like the Doomsday character that was in the comics, and out comes right. Bonesaw McGraw. I mean, and you, you um, got to see Randy again because Randy came right through that character. Exactly, and I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, even though this is a role for a movie, I'm thinking, this is the Randy I think we've all been wanting to see for quite some time. You know? Yeah, I mean, and that had to be that had to be close to the end of his WCW run. So I mean, mm-hmm. that was the Randy we had seen in '86 in and '87. Granted, yeah. he had different gear, and it suited him more. And you know, it was a a switch in terms of. of you know what the look was, but it was still Randy. I mean, right. you can, and yeah, I mean, I drive Amy crazy when because I I like to do imitations, and she uh, she says I'm a dork, so I like to do imitations <laughs> of wrestlers. I think they sound spot on, but they probably don't. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, how many people? At least I was. You walk around, you know, uh, you walk around giggling to myself and somebody says, are you ready? Uh, you know, getting ready to go out or whatnot. Are you ready? And then, you know, you break into bone saws ready and mm-hmm. you couldn't help it. I mean, that was just, that was just your, your tribute to Randy. Good. Right. And, you do it with the songs that come out, you announce them on their songs. Of course I do. And then you had, uh, you know, and then you had, the funny part was, 
you can see Randy's influence as a uh, as a creative consultant to that scene because again one of the one of the parts that really just cracks me up is when the ring announcer who's also the promoter um, says to Toby McGuire you know what's your what's your name kid and he goes the human spider and he goes the human spider that's it that's the best you got oh that sucks <laughs> and he goes into announcing him as the amazing spider-man and you, yeah. know, you can you can you look you take a look at Randy when that happens when they when they pan back to the ring and, and Randy's laughing to himself because you know how many times have we seen rookies come out and again your name probably sticks probably stays with you for the majority of your career mm-hmm. but but how that name is presented is going to change I mean my name yeah. has stayed the same I, I've had my my ring name has stayed the same for the 12 years that I've been in the business but I mean, I started out as an enforcer. I started out as not saying two words, and I was as stiff as the Frankenstein monster when I first came out. And then, as you as you progress in the business and you you further your training and you you work on your character, and you know we've all worked on characters, and you worked on development, it, it evolves. I mean, you know, right. And Randy Randy always had that to me. He always had that that unique mix of athleticism and showman and it right. was natural it was it was seamless absolutely absolutely gosh um man in, but i just uh oh gosh i i just kind of wish that that he had another chance to break out the randy well-known love you know what i mean yeah, those, those latter times. Yeah. You know what I mean. We had a glimpse you know, it was, of it, it in was, the movies, right? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, when Randy died, um, I had gotten an old Lanny uh, through the first promotion that I worked for, which was Powell Entertainment in Chicago. And Lanny worked. Uh, we had one very large show a year, which was called Russell Rage, and Lanny worked uh, the first Russell Rage that I was on uh, as mm-hmm. a manager. I had made an appearance the year before, and that's how I got introduced to the business. But I, my first year as a manager, Lanny worked at show. I mean, he pulled off a moonsault that you didn't think a guy at the time who was hovering near 50 could actually pull off, and he did. And, you know, oh, the, the day so we hear that, yeah. yeah, the day we hear that Randy died, I was actually working as a, a sales manager in a car dealership. That's what I did as a as a as a shoot job at the time and mm-hmm. the minute we heard about Randy I got Lanny on the phone you know is it true because Randy I mean for all the for all the voids that he did that everybody back then did I mean you never thought that he was going to get a heart attack at 58 right yeah. you know it was a shock then it's still a shock a little bit I mean Randy's been gone Indeed. now since 2011 and he just got remarried at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he, but from what they were saying in the biographies and what people would always say about him is that at that time he found peace. He didn't have to worry about living this gimmick 24-7 or letting, mm-hmm. or letting, his, letting his insecurities consume him. Right. You know, my opinion, Randy had nothing to be insecure about. But, you know, again, that happens to people. So it does. 
uh, I've, I've listened to Ric Flair talk about, you know, he's, he's dealt with insecurity issues also off and on through the years. We all have. I mean, oh, I yeah. went through it for the last, I went through it pretty much for the last three years. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, go out there and, and do my thing and, and, and show the people who Chaz Moretti is, but you come back through the curtain, you're like, did I do a good job? Was this thing right? right? Was that thing right? You start picking you start picking yourself apart. And if you don't stop, you're gonna drive yourself nuts. I mean there were plenty of No, you annoy your wife with Well yeah, there were plenty of nights that I would come home critiquing over critiquing my performance and my, my wife would just basically flat out tell me you're acting like an idiot, just stop. Did they boo you? Yeah, you're done. You did your job. <laughs> did they boo you? Yeah. They swear at you? Yeah. They throw things at you? Yeah. Okay, you did your job. Stop. Right. Stop talking about it. <laughs> and yeah. She's right. And she's right. I mean, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in Randy and Liz's house when he was IC champion or world champion or in that feud with Hogan, you know, as the mega, mm-hmm. as the mega powers broke up. Jeez, right. what, what was going through his head when all that was going yeah. on? Uh, I can't even you know, imagine about. No, I can't imagine what he was thinking about. Was it good enough? Not good enough? I mean, here we're talking about right. you know Macho Man Randy Savage. The guy was a legend. He was an innovator. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have the you you've had the pleasure of working Randy, didn't you? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, there it was because of him and uh, Hogan that I ended up, you know getting signed for WCW full-time. Well, that's and, awesome. And, and, even, and, and even then, I, I got to see the off-and-on relationship he had with Hogan. I mean, there was just like a, some days they would love each other, and some days they would just couldn't stand with each other. I mean, it was, it was insane. It was crazy. Well, you know, we call ourselves a brotherhood. Isn't that how brothers actually are? At least that's the way with my sister. I don't have a brother. I have I have one sister, and there are days where we, I couldn't stand her. She couldn't stand me. And there are other <laughs> days that we're talking like there's nothing wrong. I mean, you know. And when she she moved out to Boston, got back in the in the mid '90s, and uh, she says uh, she says you know we're getting along better now. I said yeah, you know why? She says no, why? Because there's 1,200 miles between us. Haha. <laughs> You know, but as you get older, it starts to break down. You don't, you don't think like that anymore. You know, I had this conversation not too long ago with Magnum TA, and about how our paths, we went with similar paths, but for some reason we never crossed paths or what have you. We lived on the same places at the same time. I'm same way as Macho Man. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we got to talk and then, you know, tell some of the past experiences and then we're, we're like scratching each other's heads like, you know, how how the heck did we didn't get together back then? You know what I mean? It was yeah. Crazy. I mean, so. the Russell Raid show that, the Russell Raid show that, that Lanny worked uh, after Randy died, they, Chet Kopic, who was a, a very renowned um, sportscaster in the Chicago area, owned one of Randy's mm-hmm. robes. And he brought it to that show, and he brought it backstage, wow. and and all these kids and rookies are lining up to put it on and uh, take a picture with it, and there was one rookie that didn't do it, 
And that was a guy named mm-hmm. Chaz Moretti. And they said, bro, you're going to put Randy's robe on and take a picture? I said, are you out of your mind? Do you know how disrespectful that is? <laughs> Hell no, I'm not putting his robe on, you bunch of marks. Right. And it was funny because I got a smile out of Lanny Popple for that. Because like, he understood mm. that, you know, he, you're going to put Superman's cape on? Really? <laughs> yeah. Now, when they had the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame across the street from my house, they had mm-hmm. a pair of Randy's black boots, and they had his black and colorful uh, sequence robe in the case. And there were many a time I walked in there trying to figure out how to get it out of that case. But I never did. Mm. And now it's in some vault somewhere. Mm. You know, I uh, like some of the tapings back then, the WCW uh, that I was at. And, uh, you know, when they were putting the, the cards together and everything, uh, a lot of times when they were in a, in a rut, put on, you know, what would they have for a main event? Uh, that the go-to was always would always be Macho Man and Flair as the go-to because like right. the, like no matter what no matter what you knew you knew it was going to be a great match for those two and uh, oh just seeing those two ah do their thing live in the ring was just amazing. Just amazing. Oh yeah, I mean I, I saw Savage Russell and Rosemont uh, before he won the IC title and you could tell he was just something special back then. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. seen Flair wrestle on a couple of different occasions, so I can only—I have never seen them live wrestle each other. I saw them on TV, but I can only imagine what what kind of electricity there was in the arena when those two would wrestle each other live. Oh, it, it was just on, on a whole new level, and it was just—I remember every time they they would wrestle, I remember all eyes were on the monitors in the back. I mean, just yeah. watching and learning. You know, Everybody in the back. It's almost like class time, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, you know, I know he was instrumental in getting you signed, as you said, but was Randy approachable to other talent in the locker room, or was he kind of off by himself? He was approachable, but just uh, to you know, do a few, right? You know, okay. I mean, I mean, he was cor- he was cordial. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, right? But he wasn't going to offer up critiques and. And teach class uh, in the locker room. No, nah, no, nah, just the ones that he felt that he felt he needed it or he, he felt comfortable with, right? So, right, right. And that's fine. I mean, he just, he he didn't seem like he would be the uh, the type that would you know just teach school back there for for hours. I mean, there are others that do. Don't get me wrong, and and they're great, and I love them to death. I mean. My buddy Terry Taylor comes to mind. I mean, Terry did a little bit oh, of the talk still now. I mean, Terry will teach school on the drop of a dime. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know if Randy, I didn't know if Randy behind the scenes had was that type of approachable, or if he was still more, uh, more off to himself. I mean, you know, he was cordial and, and and everything, but he was, you know, just certain people he would like reach out to. And you sure. know, but he wasn't the only guy. I mean, Sting was the same way. You know, I mean, he, he didn't okay. talk that many people, but you know, but I mean, but the ones he did, he was very, very cool. Oh, it's very, it's awesome. It's very cool. So I mean, you know, yeah. it, it was, uh, it was a, a, 
definitely a different time. I don't. I still, to this day, do not agree with the Attitude Era. I don't agree with the way Bischoff tried to attack the Attitude Era with with some of the outlandish nonsense that he booked. But I understood mm-hmm. where it was back in that time. You know, I would have right. loved to have seen. I would have loved to have seen Randy do what Randy did in the WWF in WCW as opposed to having to think that he was going to be, you know, so off to the edge and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Randy was heavily heavily involved with the NWO NWO angle, too, when it all started. Yeah. Yeah, but at least from from my perspective as a fan at that time, Randy didn't need the NWO. Other guys did. Oh, no. Other guys right. needed the NWO to, to you know, help them round out their persona, but Randy never needed the NWO. And I know Mr. Holly right. is probably at home, you know, crying into his <laughs> uh, into his Cheerios right now. But sorry, Mr. Hollywood, Randy didn't need the NWO. No, I, I during that time I, I liked Randy's position better when he was just being the macho man and helping WCW fight the NWO. I mean, I, I was digging that. But, I mean, he didn't, in like him joining the NWO and all that, I mean, he, he didn't, really didn't need all that. I mean, he was... No, he was, he yeah, was he great was, as the anti-hero. The yeah, right. I mean, Macho yeah. Man, Flair, Steamboat, those were guys that were great as the anti-heroes to the NWO. I mean, the NWO yeah. at that time, like you, like you said, back in, in the with the Attitude Era and WWF, you know, the bad guys were now the good guys. It was bizarre mm-hmm. world in terms of how professional wrestling was presented. So it was good to oh, see, yeah. you know, guys like Savage and Piper and Flair and Steamboat and Matt Wall before he got hurt, Magnum TA, as the as the anti heroes to stuff like that. Right. Right. You know, and if they didn't fit in and they just went and did something else, I mean you take a look at at the end of, of WCW, Dusty Rhodes wasn't there. Dusty Rhodes was an ECW helping the shape mm-hmm. Steve Carino. And but still uh, doing you know, still that. doing his, his big dust you know, still doing the you know, this the stardust stuff that he did. But now he didn't need, mm-hmm. he wasn't at WCW doing it because it, it that product changed. And he went right. to ECW and, and did his did his old school Dusty Rhodes thing and built up another star that probably wouldn't have built up as fast. Would Carino have been a star? Absolutely. He just wouldn't have been a star as quickly if he didn't have Dusty Rhodes uh-huh. helping him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what, what, like, I mean, that was, oh, gosh. The, the Dusty Carino feud probably was one of the best things they had in quite some time when it was happening. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I mean, downtown Bruno was telling some stories about Savage um, when he was in Memphis. And it was just like, you know, they all knew Savage was a major star, but they weren't going to let mm-hmm. him know that because it was still territory. Right. I, I kind of wish Randy had a chance to do that during his latter years, like what Dusty did with Carino, uh, picked a young star. Yeah. To a few with really help elevate. You know what I mean? That, well, because, uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I mean, here, we're not going to get into the, into the stories about why 
Randy left the WWF or was he kicked out or whatnot, but could you imagine had Randy helped to mentor um, The Rock the way that Dustin mentored Carino? I mean, the feud they would have had would have just been off the charts. And, you know, and here we we talk about what's not really well-known or or well-publicized about Randy, but Randy was a mainstay for The Rock's grandmother in Polynesian pro wrestling. You know, right before Mm -hmm. he made his run in the WWF, Randy was, you know, Lawler was sending Randy out to Hawaii to work for Liam Maivia. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, you know, Dwayne and and people are going, oh, Young Rock, it's a terrible show. Yeah, it might be a terrible show, but it it still has some insights in terms of of the influences on, um, on somebody. I mean, The Rock will tell you himself that, Savage was an influence just by watching what he did at Polynesian Pro. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine The Rock and Macho Man uh, just somehow getting together for a few? Oh, that would have been epic. I mean, I mean, here, think uh, about it. The, the, the Sky Dome match right. between The Rock and Hogan was an experience. Insert Macho Man yeah. for that match instead, and they'll blow the oh, roof God. off the place. It's insane. It's just insane. Yeah. I mean, they'll blow the roof we'll off the place, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We'll be joined by Professor Steve. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Just listening in. Um, I was watching a little bit of uh, Tinder, Sinatra Man, from uh, the Wrestling Summit show. From yeah, we were just talking about that earlier. Yeah. Into the yeah. Yeah, you like Tanner finished him with the injury and power bomb and got the win. But I think Sherry was a very important part of that match too. Like him and Sherry were really good pairing, as well as Elizabeth. And and we were talking about how you know Macho Man rarely went to Japan, and like I I, I really think Japan really missed out on what Randy could have really done over there. I mean, right. man, the matches he could have had. If they loved Hogan, so they would have loved Macho Man, given his over-the-top character. Can, can you imagine? Persona. We're talking. Can you? Yeah. We're talking earlier. Can you imagine uh, Randy Savage and Great Muda? Oh, goodness. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, the other one you think of, the other one that comes to my mind, it would have been it would have been the second incarnation, but could you imagine Savage in 86, 87 against Tiger Mask? Oh, The amount of chain yeah. wrestling that would have happened in that match. Wow. I mean, who? Was, Tiger wow. Mask 2 was what, Masada? That was Tiger Mask Yeah, Masada, yeah. Yeah, Masada so, was I mean, Tiger Mask 2. Yeah, so I mean, Savage and, and Masada would have been just off the chain. Uh, unreal, man. Yeah, him and Sayama and Masao, two great matches. Yeah, I mean, Randy was too green when when Baba was really running, when Baba was really running all Japan. You know, it was still about what two, three years before Randy rose to prominence. But you know, again, there there were styles that make matches. We've never we never saw a Randy Savage Bruiser Brody match. I mean, that would have been Uh-oh. something to see. 
or, or Randy Savage and Kevin Von Erich out in Japan. Right. Because you weren't going to see it in the States. Territories were too, they were too regimented. You wouldn't see that match in the States, but I bet you would have saw that match had Randy been where he was in 86 and 87. Three years earlier, you would have definitely seen Randy Savage and Kevin Von Erich going at it. Oh, man. Right. Can you imagine, you alluded earlier, like, Macho Man's around during the Attitude Era, some of the matches you could have had, like, like, for example, The Rock and Heck Stone Cold or even Mick Foley. I mean, can you uh, imagine back as Mankind? I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. Mankind with Macho Man. you got two main characters going on. That would be incredible. Oh. I mean, I would love to have seen Shawn Michaels and Macho Man go at it. Because, again, yeah. Michaels yeah. Michaels was a rookie in the AWA when Macho was on top in the WWF. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Macho Man shifted over to WCW. But Michaels at, at the – I'll tell you what. Michaels at the at the height of his career as world champion, he would have pissed Savage off because he would have said something backstage that would have really annoyed Randy, and Randy would have gone off on him in the ring. Now that would have been a sight to I see. I'm so I'm so uh, wouldn't doubt that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why Randy Savage left for WCW was he wanted to work with Shawn Michaels because he wanted to top that Ricky Steamboat match and. Vince wanted him as an announcer instead, so he went to their studio. Yeah, I mean, it's well, don't forget, Vince didn't didn't want to keep these guys home getting paid. So when he didn't have anything for you, didn't know what to do with you, he made you an announcer. Mm-hmm. You know, you had certain yeah, guys, he, you had certain guys that got hurt that couldn't good. couldn't go anymore. Right. Yeah, he I mean, you had guys that couldn't. Announcer. Oh yeah. I mean, you had guys that couldn't go anymore, like Jesse Ventura when he got hurt, and that was it for him. And superstar Billy Graham, that was when he was done. And Heenan, you know, Heenan trans- Heenan's transition to an announcer was because his neck was broken, and he, he just couldn't manage anymore. He couldn't, you know, be out by the ring and take bumps or or do what he or do what he did to the best of his ability. And they struck gold with Heenan, but I mean, like you said, they kind of wasted Savage as an announcer. Oh man, yeah, it's, I, I think WCW's definitely WCW's game, especially with DDP later on. Oh yeah, well, most definitely. I mean, Macho Man, Macho Man and uh, Piper, you know, when they were doing color comedy, they could never sit still. They had to like kitten balls somehow. <laughs> well, sure. I, I mean, you take a look at it though. Um, Randy's persona and Randy's voice was over the top and very listenable for 45 seconds to a minute. But mm-hmm. two hours into a pay-per-view, it got stale. Yeah. And you're like, all right, now he's giving me a headache. But it's not his fault. He just he wasn't a color guy. He wasn't an announcer. He was a worker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I mean, can you, can you imagine if, if Macho Man was around today, what he could do for a lot of talent nowadays? Well, he, that's he, part of the reason why I asked if he was approachable. Because could you imagine what Randy could do backstage 
now as a producer or as a trainer mm-hmm. for NXT or AEW. Right. And it was part of the reason why I asked if he was approachable back then is because mm-hmm. these kids nowadays, would, have, if they were smart enough to listen to him, would have definitely benefited from what Randy brought to the table. Oh, his knowledge and experience? Oh, man. No doubt. You know. No doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah but like, you got to credit his father like, for that training. Right. They they would have to um, realize that Randy only, if, if he spends time with you, talk to you, and he believes in you because you know I mean I mean don't get me wrong he was cordial right but Randy was one of those that he, he wouldn't just give out his knowledge and expertise to just anybody you know what I mean exactly just uh, exactly. certain people he believed that could take the ball and run with it yeah but Randy right now would have been what almost 70 70 uh, year old Randy Savage running the backstage at NXT, yeah, I'd love oh, to yeah. see what he would do with. I would love to see what he would do with uh, with Bronson. I'd love to see what he would do with with Brown Breaker because I think he, I think he would take yeah. him to next level Steiner if he had a hand in oh, training yeah. that kid. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I, I really think he could do a lot for a lot of locker rooms, honestly. Yeah, I mean, but that. But that's the thing, you know. I mean, if you, you lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. It would have, to, you know, they have to be hungry for it. And you know, I mean, and, and if he didn't believe that they would listen, then you know, he's not going to, you know, waste his time. You know, he's definitely. Just, I mean, the way he was. You know. And and Steve, feel free to chime in. But I think that's part of why, if you're noticing the latest crop of signings from the WWE for NXT are guys that are, you know, collegiate athletes and world-class athletes, but not wrestlers. They don't have any bad habits. Well, because they're coachable. You know, yeah, they're not coming off the indies going, oh, I don't need that. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do my, my, my triple four fifties off the top rope. I don't need to I don't need to learn all that nonsense. Or, or the best ones are the guys that can't talk on a microphone at all. Oh, bro, I don't need a manager. Really? Okay, Randy Savage did not need a manager. Randy Savage was good with Elizabeth. He was phenomenal mm-hmm. with Sherry. Yes. Oh, man, they were great. They were great. You know, um, just like superstar Billy Graham didn't yeah. need a manager. Put him and the Grand Wizard oh, were no. magic together. Yes. They were so good. You know, it's like when I was teaching school... Um, I get kids in my class going, oh, what am I going to learn this for? I'm not going to need this. I'm not going to need that. Okay, do it yourself. Go ahead. You know everything. Do it yourself. And then they come back and they tell you, well, I, I got this wrong. I don't know why. And you'd show them where it's at, you know, in the, in the text and in the teaching. And you're, you're like, oh, I guess I didn't pay attention. Yeah, there's your first mistake. You know, and I see a lot of that in pro wrestling nowadays. And right. I think because these kids are so athletic so much more athletic than guys were in the past, they mm-hmm. have really dropped the ball on, on learning psychology and character development. 
And see, you know, we were talking earlier about Ricky Steamboat not too long ago and uh, Macho Man. I mean, these guys were very athletic and high impact, but yet they told a great story in the ring. And, and they could, like, there's so much knowledge they could teach this newer generation. You know I mean? Because, uh, you know, now, now you, you know, with all the different styles and everything, how they can make the style work without busting an appendage or, you know what I mean? Exactly. And, and I mean, it's all together. And there, to me, there's nothing wrong with mapping out your match. I mean, do you map no. it out like Randy did at 160-plus moves? Okay, maybe not. But there's nothing wrong with mapping out your match and having a game plan as to what you want to accomplish. But, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's to the point, though, where, you know, they're so worried about their spots and getting in their, as Al Snow would say, getting their stuff in. I won't, I won't use the profanity that Al uses, but they're losing sight of the transitions. Like you said, the, the transitions from move to move and, and match part to match part between Savage, Steamboat, and, and a lot of other wrestlers back then were just so seamless. You didn't, you didn't see what they were, that there were segments being put together. I mean, if you take if you take the um, emotion out of a match, you might as well be taking the heart out of a body. You know what I mean? <laughs> Agreed. I mean that's what makes a match. That's what makes a match work. You know, no matter what style you got. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the running joke nowadays is that it's uh, a lot of it is now Cirque de Wrestling. But you know, even when you go, even when you do watch Cirque de Soleil. Or, or, or an acrobatic act, they still tell a story. They still suck you in to their world. Yes, that's what's Absolutely. missing in a lot of these kids, though. A lot of these kids don't bring you into their world. They just go out there and they do a, a thousand and one flips, and there's no, there's no transition. There's no story to it. Exactly. I mean, there's some Actually. that do, and you know. Jimmy Cornette's never going to agree with me, and he's probably going to talk nonsense and hate me for for saying it, but Kenny Omega told a hell of a story. Yeah. You know, his yeah, segments, yeah, yeah, his, his transitions were seamless. I mean, look at Kevin Owens, he, you know, um, I know they don't see eye to eye a lot of things, but look look how Kevin Owens has grown. I mean, he's one of the best they got. Yeah? Yeah, Ed Austin's last match, that's a pretty big milestone. No doubt. Most definitely. I mean, you, you look no at doubt. how Sami Zayn's progressed from his days as El Generico yeah. on up. I mean, Sami Zayn, whether you love him or hate him, you get sucked into his world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great I think now. he's great as a villain and as a fan favorite. Um, his NXT days, I think, were my favorite. Like, when he was uh, very white meat in his match. His last match in Shinsuke Nakamura, I think, was a very good, very... Probably Nakamura's best of match. It's a first NXT match. Uh, you know, an- another guy to me that, has, that embodies a, a lot of what Randy had not in the same manner, but in his execution, is Seth Rollins. Rollins yes. just makes you want to hate him. 
But then he goes out mm-hmm. and he delivers every single match. And, you know, right. those matches he had with Cody earlier in the year were just incredible. And, I'm, I mean, I, I look at them now and, and, like, I mean, we're literally seeing the two faces of the company with Cody and Seth. Oh, definitely. I was at Hell in a Cell. I mean, you know, people knew Cody got hurt lifting weights, and they didn't know if he was going to make it out there. And when he did, I mean, he was that peck was, was just grotesque-looking. But you take a look at how Rollins took care of him in that match, and it was a testament to his right. to his work and to his ability that they went out there and, and they pushed each other to a limit that you didn't think they would do, but they did it safely. Right. You know, I see a lot of Randy in, in Seth Rollins, especially when he goes up top. When he drops his yeah. elbow off the top, I see a lot of Randy in that. Mm-hmm. A lot of similarities. But, Steve, if you had to pick out one guy here, Japan, anywhere, that would most remind you of Macho Man, who would it be? Um, in terms of ring work and just... Uh... Just the whole package, the ability to draw you into the character, the ring work, just the whole package. Who do you think would would most resemble Savage? I think ring work uh, probably Savage. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Okada, New Japan. He's got the he's got a good elbow. He's got that uh, big big money fight fighter type look that comes out. As the Rainmaker. Once he yeah. became Rainmaker, like when he was having those matches with Tanahashi, like he kind of became like the Macho Man of New Japan. But the very top face, very top guy. Randy was at times, but he was still in the Hogan era. Yeah, that's a big shadow to me. In. I mean, well, the him, Hogan yeah. puppet yeah, machine and, and the merch machine that was Hogan was in full swing. And it was a, it's a tough, tough shadow to be in. We were talking earlier for, for Monster Man, you can break out during Hulkamania's height. Uh, says volume, speaks volume. Because not, not just anybody, you know, stood out like that. They pretty much was drowned out by Hulkamania during that era. And a lot of great yeah. wrestlers as well. Yeah, I mean, let's, we, we talked about this earlier, but we go back to WrestleMania three. They went out there, and at the at the very apex of the Hulkamania period, Savage and Steamboat go out there and and basically prove to the world, uh, excuse me, yeah, Hogan and Hogan's the top, Hogan's this, Hogan's that, it's Hulkamania, but we're here, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of it's hard to compare. Macho Man, because he just, his character's so iconic, but overall ring work, I think him and Okada would be great, because Tanahashi was kind of like that Hogan for New Japan for a while, and then he had Okada, his rival, so that's what made me mm-hmm. think Okada, and plus the elbow drive. Very good, very good comparison, you know, especially, you know, Tanahashi-Hogan comparison, it's, yeah, I definitely could see that. 
No, oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I, one of the things that I really like about New Japan is they've, they've captured that big fight feel that used to be seen in the WWF, used to be seen in WCW, especially when they were still NWA under the Crockett promotions. I mean, a lot of times we lose sight of that. It's starting to come back again. AEW does a good job of presenting that big fight feel. Uh, WWE is starting to do it again. But I, I think, you know, for a long time, professional wrestling shortchanged itself in losing sight of that of that aura of how you present that electricity. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you didn't have to worry about that with Savage, though. You could tell Savage, walk to the ring and, and don't say anything, and Savage was still Savage. Savage would be in a house show where he didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot, and he was still Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Great stuff, man. This has been a great conversation about Macho Man Randy Savage tonight, guys. It's been really, really, really cool. That's what I got. That's a blast. Um, is there any plugs that you guys like want to give out? Feel free to plug away. Go ahead, Steve. You go first. Sorry, I was working. Um, no, I just wanted to mention I had one of my favorite Macho Man memories is not involving him, but um, when I met Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, I think the first time, Mickey James was there, and she was um, kind of hosting and doing some singing and whatnot, and she had, like, uh, some people come up, like, volunteers to the stage to uh, do, like, a Macho Man impression. And, like, my friend got the uh, wrestling tickets for the next night, and she was doing a Spider-Man, but she was doing a, a bone saw. Like, bone saw is ready. Oh, that's and, awesome. Like, uh, that popped Jake Roberts. It was funny. Just watching yeah. that in the moment. And Nick Aldis was there, too. Nice. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I, the second time I met Jake, I was actually wearing my Macho Man shirt just to, just to get a, a smile out of people because I think one of Jake's best rivals is obviously Macho Man. And he has that funny story of the Cobra. But, um, yeah, uh, you can find me at Silver Steven. Uh, glad I could catch uh, Retro tonight and uh, hopefully... Uh, Come back next week. Awesome. Um, Person interviews uh, still going on this Sunday, Steve. Oh yeah. Um, if I have a guest, we'll we'll announce it. Awesome. I'm just waiting awesome. for Velvet to come back. He, he's he's going to be healthy. At, I think uh, the 17th to come back on. Oh uh, great. That date. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, very cool. Can you bring yeah, we miss Velvet. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So, um, Chad, do you have any? Yeah, uh, I got some plugs. I do. I got some plugs tonight. Some interesting things going on with me. July 17th, I am going to be one of the hosts of the Midwest Wrestling Reunion. And we're going to, we hold that luncheon every year. We're going to do it again this year. We're honoring Eddie Sharkey as our Lifetime Achievement Award winner. 
uh, amongst other awards that we've given out to um, to wrestlers and workers and announcers and officials that have been in the Midwest Territory. And uh, you can see that on my Facebook, and you can see that on the Midwest Wrestling Union Facebook page, uh, which is awesome. Uh-huh. And then um, in August, August 18th, 19th, and 20th, I'm going to be in Memphis, Ripley, and Dyersburg, Tennessee, for Pro Wrestling Mid-South. And then uh, I promised the wife I wouldn't talk about this too much anymore because I've been driving her nuts for the last couple days. But (laughs) probably the most important booking of my career happens on October 15th. And and I am extremely honored and humbled to have been booked for the World Association of Wrestling in Norwich, England, for their Fight Mare card. Uh, Ricky Knight... uh, notified me a couple of weeks ago that I would be on that card and um, I had to do all I could to to not let the cat out of the bag until they made the announcement a couple days ago but yep it's definitely official I am going to jolly old England I'm going to be uh, doing my thing now everybody keeps asking me all who's your client who you're representing none of your business I'll let you know soon enough (laughs) but just know that uh, just know the Chasmanian devil is coming and that's it. That's most I can say, you know, as far as Fight Mirror is concerned. Uh, uh, Soraya is going to be there. It'll be her first appearance uh, since her contract nice. expired today. You know, and awesome. she's still getting used to not using the name Paige. You know, we get that part. Uh, but that is going to be probably the biggest show that I've been on in my career. And I've been on some pretty big ones. But that one I'm definitely looking forward to. Uh, it's my... It's my first overseas booking in a long, long time, and I'm really, really looking forward to to showing the uh, the UK fans what I do. And so, those are my plugs for this evening. But the, you know, the one plug I always want to make is um, I want to thank Stro for coming up with these topics because I mean, it's one thing just to talk wrestling, and it's fun to talk wrestling. What's going on now? Fantasy matches, you know. Uh, favorite matches from years gone by, but when we have a, a discussion like we had tonight on, on a subject matter that you can talk about for probably about 10, 12 hours, like Macho Man and Steamboat and whatnot, uh, those are, are the times that really make you happy that you're part of this uh, this crazy world that we call professional wrestling. So again, Stro, thank you and, and thank the VOC Nation for having WCW Retro and, and giving us uh, giving us old Kutza an opportunity to talk about the things that we remember from when we were, you know, fans and and coming up in the business. There you go. Oh, yeah. Stro. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Yes, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, there was another comparison. I think Bailey, with her gear, when she was the hugger, like she had similar type gear when she came out, very colorful yes. robes. Um, the, I think she would do an elbow face. drop as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, even when she was maniacal, she kind of, she kind of could pull off a modern day Siri, because she's like laughing all the time and just not, and then like, um, she's like messing with Michael Cole. Um, yeah. She seems like she could pull off a over the top character, and then uh, Okada. I know I mentioned him earlier, but there was a phase where he kind of went crazy when he lost the title and he dyed his hair red and had red balloons, so. He kind of had some madness too when he didn't have the championship. So uh, 
That's another comparison. But um, uh, Cheryl, I'll let you finish. I'm, I'm glad you can have me on and talk to Man. Oh yeah, anytime, brother. Thank, thank you all. Thank you all so much. I mean, you guys make the show, man. It's, uh, it's great that we can do this, man. It really is. It brings back some great memories and nostalgia and everything. Um, be sure and for listeners listening in, uh, those that haven't got a chance to listen to the whole show tonight, you can listen to the archives of tonight's show. Go to www.retroabusenation.com and look for Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, next week's topic of discussion will be Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, so uh, yeah, bringing great Hitman Hart stories and moments of memories. So it should be it should be a fun time next Thursday. But uh, have, have a great rest of the week and weekend, and uh, uh, we'll talk next Thursday. You guys have have a good night. Thank you. All right. Good night, all. <laughs>